what's happening in Ukraine, what was happening during the week from 25th of July until 31st of July, what were the key events and trends in and around Ukraine during this time. This is an Explaining Ukraine podcast by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko, I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org, and I'm talking to Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Thanks so much for uh, talking with me uh, during this podcast. Uh, let me also remind that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend the majority of your support on our volunteer trips around Ukraine, helping people affected by this war. So let's talk about this week. Uh, what were the key events, in your opinion, from 25th of July until 31st of July? Uh, well, this week was extremely dynamic in terms of what is happening on the ground, but maybe let's start with uh, what's ha- what maybe the most dramatic event of this week was happened in Olenivka, in a village in um, occupied territory close to Donetsk. In Olenivka there was a kind of a prison for Ukrainian military, and we know that uh, Azov defenders were transferred to Olenivka uh, some time ago, and what happened... I think just a few days, a few days before... No, no, they were in Olenivka, in in this colony, for already many weeks, but what happened uh, just a few days before this this shelling or this explosion, we'll discuss that later, happened that... uh, part of these Azov defenders were transferred to a different building in this colony. And on Friday, there was a, a, a ex- shelling or explosion, let's talk about that. But what happened, that uh, uh, 53 Ukrainian soldiers died and 75 Ukrainian soldiers were wounded during this attack. And the first communication about the act was that Russian communication stating that Ukrainians um, shelled this colony and they killed their own soldiers. Um, But later, what we discovered, there were many uh, Ukrainian response was extremely quick saying that uh, there were no shelling at Olenivka, no reason to, to, to shell Olenivka, and there were interceptions of com- telephone, telephone calls uh, between, uh, the, um, between DNR, so, so-called uh, Donetsk Republic, and Russians, where they were talking about the probability, high probability of this, uh, that it was a Russian strike, not Ukrainian one. So for Ukraine... This is an extremely dramatic event because the whole nation was watching what was happening with Azov defenders for many weeks already. Many there were one exchange only when a little bit more than 100 soldiers were able to come back home, but uh, in total they they are 2,500. They are in, in prison. Some of them are in Olenivka. Some of them may be somewhere in Russia. We don't know exactly. In fact, we don't know the correct information. But uh, but yes, they were killed by, by, by Russians. So what is the number of, of deaths? So, 53, uh, according to Russian figures, and 35 wounded. The, we ha- don't have access to, uh, to, to, to this information, so we are communicating this information. And we don't know also about the people who are considered as missing, because there is a, a part of people who are considered to be missing who are not uh, in the lists of uh, killed and wounded. Yes, and there are also five bodies which were not identified. So we know who, are, who is killed and who is wounded. 
Um, we also seen several videos with wounded from hospitals. Russians were interviewing people who survived during this attack and they were saying to these wounded Ukrainian soldiers, look, this is what your what Ukraine does with you. They were sharing you, you with HIMARS. What is your reaction? So this is something really incredible. You cannot believe your eyes when you see these wounded soldiers in, in Russian hospitals and these pro- propaganda journalists, so-called journalists, interviewing them and trying, make, trying to make them believe that this was the Ukrainian army who shelled them. A lot of... Um, a lot of mess about this about this event because we are not specialists in that but a lot of experts say that look at the photos beds are uh, didn't move in fact and um, bodies are in a pos- strange position and maybe it was even not a shelling but a kind of explosion which took place from inside the building so we cannot comment on that we don't have expertise but a lot of people talking about that it looks like uh, these soldiers were maybe tortured, maybe um, they suffered a lot, and then maybe they were killed, even killed before uh, the explosion. So we don't know exactly, we don't have access to the territory, but what we know, we know that uh, uh, several dozens of Ukrainian uh, soldiers lost their lives in this uh, cruel attack, and there is no, no reason for Ukraine to do so because they were heroes for for Ukrainian army and for Ukrainian citizens and this is a kind of a very cynic provocation of the Ukraine of the Russian army indeed there is a i mean very very strange thing when Russians are saying that Ukraine was shelling a prison with its own uh, citizens with its own fighters because really azov fighters are considered to be heroes in Ukraine because they are people from steel as 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 uh, we are saying there are people from the Azov Stal. Uh, of course, there is Russian propaganda that they are all Nazis. We know that this is not true. There was some some kind of far right ideology in the Azov Battalion, but since then, there are so many different people with different views who joined it, just because it was and is a, a very capable uh, military military unit which was defending Mariupol since 2014 and which was also showing their heroic uh, defense of Azovstal, as we know. Uh, uh, Ukrainian, uh, I I remarked that when Ukrainian defense intelligence, the so-called issued a statement, it was not talking about shelling. Uh, Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba, was talking about shelling in his tweet, but I think it was just a very swift, very quick reaction uh, when when he, he didn't have the full information. Uh, the defense intelligence was saying that it was a terrorist act, it was an explosion, mm-hmm. uh, and it was not, not, not a shelling. It was an explosion inside the building. Yes, and what is important is that uh, this group of soldiers, there were around almost 200 people inside this building. They were transferred to this building just a couple of days ago. And importantly, no Russian guards 
were wounded or killed during this attack. So this looks suspicious because if you shell from a Ukrainian territory from many dozens of kilometers, so there would be some some losses in 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 in, in Russian uh, in Russians as well. So people who are walking at that place, but there were no victims uh, at that moment. So it looks like uh, like a provocation, and it comes also is important detail. It comes in a context where a video just a day before a video of torture of Ukrainian soldier was published online by by Russians, uh, an extremely cruel video when um, Russian soldier is uh, literally castrating Ukrainian soldier and then uh, he kills him. And uh, it comes uh, like a, like a part of this um, psychological maybe operation against Ukrainians because you can easily imagine a reaction of people who who see that it's it's barbaric it's, it's it goes against any kind of conventions Geneva conventions any kind of conventions, and it looks like they are um, the Russians they are trying to to create this atmosphere of uh, fear and panic. Uh, in the inside Ukraine and to, to, to press to, to push Ukraine to to, um, to 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 maintain this pressure on the Ukrainian government in order to, to surrender maybe or or there are of course many different uh, explanations so we can speculate on that we will probably uh, pronounce some of them but we understand that it is very difficult to to verify just a, a little remark that Russian embassy in the UK tweeted very recently that Azov quote Azov militants deserve execution but death not by firing squad but by hanging because they are not real soldiers they deserve a humiliating death we should understand that end of quote we should understand that in Russian society uh, people who are identified with Azov are not considered to be humans right and therefore I believe that uh, if you say in the Russian society, okay, Russia destroyed Russia itself destroyed a prison with Azov fighters, they would say, yeah, oh, it's okay, we, we accept this. Another important detail of that that attack is that uh, at least according to information from defense intelligence, Ukrainian one, uh, they affirmed that there was a, uh, the result of an action of a Wagner Group, and it was not coordinated with the Russian Minister of Defense. We cannot verify that, but at least our intelligence says that there is a kind of action which comes against maybe official line, and we do know that Russians, uh, Russian official Minister of Defense, they accepted. Uh, the excess of the Red Cross and some other international organizations on the place after Ukraine uh, demanded that uh, many times in order to investigate, because this needs a, a clear investigation. And this investigation is clearly in the Ukrainian interest as well, because just yeah, of to course. dismantle but, but, this propaganda. But do you, do you really believe that they will, okay, International Red Cross, uh, it's an organization which will never publish any political statements. We We have seen uh, the behavior of this organization uh, earlier. Yeah, but they accepted. I, I mean, what is important that the Russian side, I mean, official one, they accepted to this excess, to, to provide excess. And it, it means that there is a kind of, uh, at least what, what Ukrainian intelligence says, is a kind of uh, um, lack of uh, coordination in this action. So maybe uh, Wagner Group realized this uh, terrorist act and it was not fully agreed with the uh, Minister of Defense. We don't know. We cannot verify but, uh, that. International Red Cross cannot make a judgment who, yeah, who did that's, that. That's right? it. Yeah, uh, that's so, it. Uh, 
But there is also, I mean, the difference between the Russians and Ukrainians is the level of transparency. When Russians are saying that Bucha massacre was all staged, well, uh, all the photos that you have circulating in the internet were made by international journalists. Uh, it was made by Reuters, by uh, by international media, by international news agencies, but their by their photographers. Then there was all all the data are published, and you know. Um, Many international media are doing their OSINT research uh, based upon these um, public videos. The problem with with Russians that yeah they may uh, may may open access to Red Cross, but of course they will not open access to to international journalists or whatever. So we will never know. Actually, it will it will be kind of this this war with narratives of narratives, which also shows that probably Russia has something to hide. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, the second issue is that there were some interpretations from Ukrainian defense intelligence, and the version was that Russians were, you know, losing too much, too much money or stealing money on these facilities, and there would there would be an ex inspection to check it, and Russians decided to uh, to hide the traces of the mis misspending. Well, for me, this version is kind of a very also dubious, very, very, very dubious. Tricky, yeah. So, uh, so it doesn't mean that when we quote Ukrainian versions, doesn't mean that we really believe hundred percent in this. So. Because there are various Ukrainian versions about what happened, but uh, the version with torture seems to be more realistic one. For example, we do know that uh, Azov defenders were uh, were hated by by any kind of of Russians because uh, they defended uh, Azov style for many weeks and they uh, they uh, made many losses in the Russian army. So it looks logic that they were tortured and they considered to be Nazis. So uh, it looks uh, quite realistic that these people they were tortured uh, in in prison in this colony and then just to hide just to hide i don't know the signs and the traces of these tortures they were just killed and then they presented it like or uh, or i i have two other interpretations again these are speculations uh the first is that there is th there might be kind of a hidden war between different structures in russia and there there might be people who are interested in making Russian war crimes, uh, horrible, more horrible, more horrible. Why to discredit the leadership or to discredit the, 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 the Russian army, to weaken it, or vice versa, there, there, there is a, on the contrary, there is a, a fight for power, wherever. And let's not forget that these during these days, uh, um, what was discussed in the United States, in Congress, for example, the, the status of Russia as a uh, country which is sponsoring uh, the terrorism. So maybe in this context, uh, this attack, so it, it, it gives her a, 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 a another reason for, for, for international community to recognize Russia as a terrorist state. So it comes in, in, a, in a very strange moment when, when this issue is discussed seriously and it helps in a way so it helps in a way to recognize Russia as a terrorist state with all the consequences because consequences are quite important this is not this is not nothing to recognize it it will be it will mean that Russia will be in the one line with Syria with Iran with um North Korea so with a number of countries which are recognized to be uh, to be countries with terrorism, so this is state terrorism. So this is uh, will complicate things for for Russia. I mean, in terms of sanctions, in terms of isolation, 
so clearly this could, should not be in their interest. Yeah, but the well, yeah, the question is about these fights between different factions in, in Russian military, between the private army and, and, and the defense ministry. There can be also a question that uh, I have an I have also an interpretation which you don't like. I I know, but uh, uh, that Russia is ready to cut all the ties with the West, and uh, it kind of a. Uh, invites the West to impose even more sanctions, even more sanctions. And of course, even more sanctions will be applied for horrible deeds. But as as much as it suffers from more sanctions, the more it becomes popular in the anti-Western world, let's call it this way, uh, among all the people who consider the West as, as the key uh, enemy as the key uh, perpetrator, as the key colonizer, as the key imperialist, and we know there are many people in the world uh, thinking like this. So Russia is trying kind of a, to polarize the world. What it has done in internal politics in in America, Britain, Europe, etc., France, um, contributing to this polarization. Now it tries to to do on a global scale. And in this uh, case, if this is true, then the logic is the worse the better. More sanctions uh, Russia gets, more empathy it gets from this anti-Western world. Well, and the last thing about this uh, um, terrible attack is that uh, today in the news we see that Ukraine has begun the process of returning the bodies of the soldiers who died in Olenivka. We can only imagine uh, how it will be uh, processed, how the bodies will be here, and uh, included these five bodies which are not identified, so they will collect uh, ADN maybe in family members. And we, cannot only Im- we can only imagine the tragedy for many, many families, Ukrainian families, which who are waiting for these uh, bodies now here in Ukraine. Yes, because, I mean, these people are so heroically um, war in Azovstal and all the country was, was monitoring this, was, was, you know, following this, their heroic defense and they really suffered, they, they really went through hell there. And of course, there were many, as, as you remember, there were many attempts to make this extraction procedure uh, uh, taking them out of Azov style and bringing not to Russia but to a third country. And frankly speaking, when the, the war, okay, they were taken taken as prisoners, but we have seen all these photos of uh, people who, who who really suffered in Azov style, and re- really you you can see how exhausted they are. Many, many are wounded. Uh, but I think for for many Ukrainians there was kind of a uh, hope. Okay, they will not. Di- they they did not die. So may- maybe they will be exchanged for Russian prisoners of war. And we see right now this what what Russia does with with its prisoners of war. This is also a question uh, about Russian soldiers because any single prisoner of war is of course a subject to exchange. So that that means that Russians don't really care about their prisoners of war that they would like to exchange, right? Let's talk a little bit about the front line, what is happening, and uh, I will I will I will say a few words about what we know. We've made uh, recently an interview with uh, an interesting Ukrainian military expert uh, who is called Viktor Kevluk from uh, uh, the. 
Center for Defense Strategies. We will publish a summary of this interview on our Twitter, the Twitter of Ukraine World. Uh, so one of the key issues is, of course, what is happening in the South. Uh, we are discussing the issue of uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive, possibly counteroffensive uh, counter in the Kherson Oblast. We know that Ukraine uh, kind of hints to the Russians that it can destroy uh, the bridges across Dnipro. Dnipro is a very wide river, especially in, in including in Kherson. Kherson is basically a city located on the right bank, and the uh, Ukrainian army is on the right bank. So the Russian army will think twice, for example, I think now, whether it will stay in the city or, or it will it will evacuate as soon as possible if Ukrainians just destroy this bridge. But um, we also should take into account that Russians really want to make an, a referendum, a so-called referendum, in Kherson Oblast on joining it to the occupied Crimea. And of course, they, they need Kherson very much to make this referendum. So if they lose Kherson, maybe the whole idea of referendum just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And let's look on, on what's really happening on the front line. Um, let's recall that Lisi Chance, the, the, the last greatest move was made in Donetsk in the east uh, in the beginning of July. If I'm not mistaken, the 2nd of July, Ukrainian troops left from Lysychansk and since then there were no real advance of U U Russian army in the east. What are they doing now? They are observing for many weeks already these counter-attacks, counter-offensive, we cannot call that counter-offensive because it's quite a tactic level, but Ukrainians are advancing on a, uh, in, in Kherson region and what they do right now Uh, for two or three days already, Russian army is trying to transfer uh, quite a big number of its troops to the south direction, I mean to Kherson, even if they understand that uh, there is a control, I mean fire control of the Ukrainian army of these four bridges around Kherson. So they are trying to keep the south and they are in a way sacrificing their uh, project to capture all the Donbass region, because their first goal was to capture Lugansk region and Donetsk region. Lugansk region, they, they, it's almost under Russian control, with a small exception of a couple of villages uh, close to Lysychansk, and they were not advancing in Donetsk, and they were observing this counteroffensive. They decided that it was maybe more strategic for them to stop Ukrainians in the south. And they, what they are doing now, even despite all the risks with bridges, they are trying, they are sending uh, um, hundreds of military vehicles right now. And if, for example, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the presence of uh, 12,000 up to 15,000 Russian soldiers in the south, they are trying now to double this number right now in the in the moment we are talking and they will be uh, maybe one of the key battles of this war will take place around Kherson in the coming days or coming weeks obviously ukrainians want to prevent russians from making their this so-called referendum we should understand that um, as as we repeat in our podcasts uh, when there is a discussion okay ukraine should cede some of the territories for the sake of peace. Uh, 
the question is, the problem is that Russians are using any occupied territory to proceed further. So kind of a platzdarm uh, for further occupation. So they used Crimea to occupy the southern Ukraine. They, if, if they keep like parts of Kherson, Zaporizhia Oblast in the southern Ukraine, join it to Crimea, call it Tavria or whatever, obviously they will take some time and use it as a platform for a new attack. This is what's happening uh, in Kherson Oblast uh, because uh, they are using the infrastructure, they are, they are using the capacity uh, available in Crimea, for example, to... Uh, to proceed further in Kherson Oblast, and the administrative capacity, uh, all the rest. And let's not forget what that, for example, this night, um, uh, what happened in Mykolaiv, it was maybe the largest shelling for the last f- uh, five months. So they were shelling Mykolaiv quite heavily this night. So they are trying to show that they will be able not only to defend what they already control in Kherson Oblast, but they, they try to show that they, they will be able to advance once again to Mykolaiv. They tried that in during the march. They failed, uh, but then they are trying to to reconquer Mykolaiv. They are bombarding Mykolaiv. Uh, we don't know exactly. We don't know, do know that a lot of civilians lose their lives in Mykolaiv every day, at the bus stops, in the streets, in their own houses. But uh, Russians are trying to show that they are able to take Mykolaiv. Mykolaiv is extremely close to Kherson. So um, they, their effort is now to, to keep the south and to make a kind of a pause in the east. Even if they, they do attack in the east, but this could be kind of um, tactics to show that we are still active there, but at the same time they're transferring their troops, namely to the south. It complicates things for Ukrainian army because uh, in Ukrainian media, uh, this uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive was already discussed for many weeks already. So we're preparing counterattack in the south, so it was quite clear. And now they're trying to stop Ukrainians and to make Ukrainian army lose this battle. So we'll see how it goes. Yes, and and the I think there is a clear difference of tactics because Russians continue to use the tactics of uh, not counting the people. So you you just attack, you advance, you lose your soldiers, you leave them on the ground, you don't take your the bodies. Uh, and this is a kind of a Second World War tactics. Ukrainian tactics is different, it's much more close to, to the Western tactics. The, the value, uh, value of, of life of every soldier is very important. So I think the tactics is to make Russians recede, uh, hopefully without big battles, for example, without big battle in Kherson or whatever. Inside the city. And and therefore, this long, la- large artillery, a long-range artillery like HIMARS or Hovitzers is so, so important. But the problem is that we already discussed uh, is that there is not not so much of this long-range artillery. It's not so much in the world. So Ukraine not just cannot just count on I don't know one thousand howitzers uh, supplied in one month or whatever. Uh, the number is not so much, and Russians are still having much bigger number of uh, of uh, artillery. And the second problem is that. 
HIMARS, for example, is extremely expensive. So one one shot of one uh, missile of HIMARS is about one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and uh, one shot, of course, th- th- there mm-hmm. are several missiles. It's up to one million. So imagine you just make a shot, and one million dollars went to the air, right? And uh, how much, how many such shots you can you can do, you can actually make. Yeah, that's it. But Russians, uh, they're using large, largely missiles, and one missile, if I'm not uh, not mistaken, experts were saying that one missile strike, it costs uh, $250,000. So it, 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 I think it depends on the missile, it, but let's depends, not let, yeah. let's not forget that Russian economy, despite all the sanctions, it is still running. It is still okay because the gas, um, the the gas and oil revenues are are still there, and Russians are still getting up to one billion dollars per day uh, for gas and uh, and oil revenue. So the, the the very important question is, of course, what will happen by the end of the year. Whether there will be oil embargo, whether there will be significant cuts of uh, gas supplies to the EU. The second issue of the South, it's it's very important, the humanitarian issue. Uh, again, we will make a, a more detailed analysis a little bit later. Uh, follow our Ukraine World site and, and our Twitter Ukraine World. But what we understand is a huge problem of the humanitarian issue because Russians are. Uh, uh, often depriving Ukrainians of the Ukrainian passports. For example, if they evacuate people from Mariupol, they just give a temporary temporary certificate, uh, like a, a, a refugee status. So imagine you're taken from Mariupol, sent to, I don't know when, in, where in Russia, to the deep, deep Russia, maybe to Khabarovsk or Siberia or whatever. So it's just another form of, of kind of deportation, right? Uh, another issue is that Russians are distributing Russian passports in, in occupied territories, and it's extremely difficult to survive without having Russian passport. So the irony is that if you take a, an American or EU passport or even Ukrainian passport, it's it's uh, increasingly it's it's very difficult to get it because you you should prove you should pass the exams you should i don't know live for a number of years you should deserve it so ukrainian passport eu passport american passport is a kind of a prize for you for your efforts in russia it, russian passport is a punishment so they just distribute it to people who don't want it uh, but of course why they do that to say afterwards that there are russian citizens who will protect them to organize a referendum uh, and to uh, bring this for example young man to the army yeah that's exactly. that that's that's also the the, the the issue that's it and um so we discussed the south what's happening this really dramatic uh, specifically for people who are still on the territory they were hoping for many weeks already for this ukrainian counteroffensive which is still not here uh, unfortunately, Russians are re- trying to reinforce at least their troops in the south. 
and we will be following quite closely what is happening. We do hope that uh, Ukrainian commander they do they do know what they are doing, letting Russians in because they do let Russians in the region, in the southern region, and then let's see how the battle will be organized. I mean that uh, uh, Ukrainian army still controls by far. I mean by HIMARS all the bridges, all the bridges in the region. So what is the plan? We don't know. So let's not speculate. Um, maybe uh, we, we should mention another, this time, good news for Ukraine. Today, uh, um, Ukrainian drone uh, destroyed or damaged, damaged um, intelligence center, center in, in Sevastopol center of for for Russian uh, Russian uh, ma marine uh, five wounded and uh, some destructions we don't know exactly what but there is uh, also a clear demonstration to Russia that Ukrainian army is capable to reach them in Sevastopol Sevastopol in Crimea quite far away from Kherson Oblast quite deep in the south let's say so and it happened exactly on the day of our official celebrating of the Russian uh, fleet, Russian Navy, Navy forces. So normally it, it was planned to be a very important day in Crimea. They are very proud of their Navy. They are very proud of this, uh, the, their vessels, even if Moscow is no more here. But um, Ukrainian army managed to spoil this celebration and uh, it is very important because it shows demonstrates how far Ukrainian Ukraine is capable to hit into its territory Ukrainian yeah, territory. And it was very brave to to attack uh, Crimea to attack Sevastopol so we will we will follow these these stories of course uh, stay with us this was a podcast explaining ukraine by ukraine world a website in english about ukraine uh my name is vladimir yermonko i'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org uh, our traditional podcasts weekly podcast with tetiana harkova from ukraine crisis media center uh, follow us on social networks ukraine world on twitter facebook instagram Follow our YouTube channel and our podcasts, of course, on wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We spend the majority of your donations to help people affected by this war in Ukraine. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.